come on, watch the video and subscribe. You will not regret it. It's some good material. All right, guys, let's continue in our study. In Genesis, we were in chapter 9. And for a quick review, basically the only things that we talked about was the establishment of the covenant that God made with Noah. Now we remember the cup, it is called the covenant that God made with Noah because Noah is the principal character. But if you recall the covenant God made with all living creatures, but predominantly the idea is principally with Noah and with his sons. And so the three things that we talked about in particular with this covenant was once again, the command of God, a blessing of God to be fruitful and multiply. This was given to Noah and his sons more specifically to his sons because Noah would not have any additional children. So be fruitful and multiply. And then we have the principle for the foundation of human government with God given that particular statute about murder. And finally, God gave that promise that he would never destroy the world again with the flood of waters. And this he gave by virtue of a sign, a covenant sign, the rainbow. All right, now let us continue with Genesis verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah and from these the whole earth was populated. Now we begin this particular section concentrating notice we, even though Noah will be involved in this particular narrative, but the idea we're beginning to concentrate on the sons of Noah, even one of the sons of Noah uh, explicitly we're going to deal with, and that is the uh, ham. And notice what it says in verse number 18. Okay, first of all, okay, let me slow it down for a brief second. The three sons of Noah, Shem, his firstborn, Ham, his secondborn, and Japheth was his third son. And then notice when it said, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, the reason why we have this particular emphasis being placed on Ham, who is, who is Ham is the second son of Noah, and Ham's son, Canaan. Canaan will actually be the fourth son of Ham. But the reason why this is brought out particularly at this point is because of the prophetic role that Ham will play, even namely the son of Ham, that is Canaan will play. So notice even now, as we're getting into this particular part of the narrative, when it talks about Ham, notice the direct connection that it brings Ham with Canaan. That is Canaan is the fourth son of Ham. And we connect this early on because of the prophetic significance that it will play in the scriptures later on down the line. But anyway, and the point of verse 19 states that it is from these three that the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that all of the world is populated. That is 
all of the rest of humanity in some way or another are descendants from these three sons of Noah. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. All right, let's just stop there. Let's take it a little bit at a time so we can try to discuss all of the major points. All right. So now we see it says Noah began farming by the very usage of this. These words, the terminology is actually stated here, and I'm not going to get into the Hebrew, but actually what it says is this. Noah began farming. Noah began to be a man of the ground is the actual Hebrew text that is used. And it is also telling us that this was an occupation that Noah did not have before the flood. So after the flood, Noah now takes a new occupation. That occupation is farming and what he planted in particular was a vineyard. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with farming. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the planting of a vineyard. But let's continue on in our reading, and we're going to see some issues with respect to Noah and that vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Now, there is nothing wrong with drinking wine at all even in our time. And sometimes I've seen people say that there's a, there is something wrong that we shouldn't drink wine and we shouldn't drink and even say beer and things of that nature. However, scripturally, there is actually nothing wrong with the drinking of wine. It was nothing wrong with it before the law, during or under the law, and even in the New Testament age. The only thing that the Bible does, and what it, what it, and you see this in particular in the books of Proverbs, the Bible warns about becoming inebriated. It warns about drinking too much. It warns about, it warns about developing uh, some sort of a, a, a getting, getting drunk. That's the bottom line. <laughs> getting drunk. And we see this oftentimes, even in the prophets, it talks about rising up in the morning and drinking and drinking all throughout the day. So the whole idea is the Bible does not say there is anything wrong with the consumption, drinking of wine, or even if I should say it now, alcoholic beverages, what it does warn is the developing, uh, 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 what, do you, what do you call it, guys, when you get hooked on drinking wine, becoming an alcoholic, and you have to have it for daily consumption, that of nature, becoming drunk. That's why even in the New Testament, there is no prohibition against wine. Notice what the scripture says. Do not be drunken with wine in excess but rather be filled with the spirit. That is to become so inebriated, you're drunken with wine to the extent that wine is influencing your conduct. It is influencing the way that you're thinking. And what it says is for God's people, strong drink should never influence our conduct. So we should never get drunk, but 
The only thing that should influence our conduct is the Holy Spirit. So what I'm trying to say in all of that, guys, is I'm trying to remove some of the taboo that you may have heard about Christians never being able to drink and never drinking wine. That's not true. Christians can drink, but Christians should never get drunk. Christians should never get tipsy. All right. But anyway, so the whole point with Noah is Noah drank the wine that he made from his vineyard. He became drunk and notice how oftentimes getting drunk is associated with nakedness. Notice what it said. He uncovered himself in his tent. So somehow Noah got drunk and he ended up taking off all his clothes. But <laughs> one thing we can say is Noah wasn't on the streets. Noah was inside of his own house. He was in his own tent. And another point that is also uh, interesting to bring out too, there is now a striking distinction, a difference is contrasting Noah, the man that we once talked about. Remember the scripture said how Noah was a man of righteousness and how Noah found favor with God. Noah was blameless in his generations. And now we see a very striking contrast to this. Now, instead of Noah being righteous, the picture of Noah here at this particular instance, and notice what I said, guys, instance, that means you cannot sum a person's life by one act. I'll say it again. It is never wise. It is never a good thing. It is never a righteous thing to try to summarize the entirety of a person's life by one act of sin. All right. And that's important for us to realize. And we often do that too many times, but the Bible does not do that. Now, although God, the scriptures does not ignore the sins of God's people or certain of God, of the men that you'll see in the Bible, the people that you see in the Bible doesn't ignore those particular sins. But what God does not do is try to summarize the entirety of a person's life because of a particular sin or because of, of a specific sin. And we do that all too often. We will look at uh, one particular sin of a person's life and we will throw the whole individual in the gut. He did that. Well, he's no good. He's not saving him. That's not true. And it should never be done by God's people. And, and, and I'm dwelling on that point simply to say is this. All of the spiritual accolades that was once given concerning Noah about him being that person of righteousness. Now we see a failure, sin in Noah's life. And that just simply goes to show it is proof all have sinned. There is no person who has always kept all the commandments of God or should we even say done all things right. That's not to say not to condemn sin in a person's life, in a saint's life, but that is to strengthen the fact of what the Bible says we all sin at some point, okay? And so here is a low point in the life of Noah where he himself has fallen short of the grace of God, all right? So let's go on. So Noah is drunk inside of his tent. What happens? 
Ham, the father of Canaan. Notice once again, it's Ham who does it, who's acting at this particular time, but he, but the scriptures keep connecting Canaan to Ham, which is Ham's son. Now we don't know whether or not Canaan, that is Ham's son, is actually involved in this activity. There is no scriptural evidence whatsoever, and I don't think it would be wise to speculate. The Bible says that it was Ham, let's continue the reading, Ham, father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, that is Noah, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. So the whole issue is Noah is drunk inside of his tent. His son Ham somehow discovers it and he walks in and sees the nakedness of his father. So the point is there is a spiritual violation that takes place between the father and the son. This is a taboo. This is something that should not have taken place. And also something that I don't want you guys to miss is there is a sexual, there is a sexual undertone that is being given in all of this. Now, that is not to say, I am not saying that Ham violated Noah sexually in any way. That is not what I'm saying at all. But the whole point is you cannot deny that the sexual relevance of this is what? Noah is naked and Ham comes in to see the nakedness of his father. And ever since the, ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, nakedness brings about what? Shame. What did Adam and Eve do? Once their eyes were open, they saw their nakedness. They covered their nakedness. Even what? Husband from wife. So therefore, if husband is covering his nakedness from his wife and wife from her husband uh, uh, in Adam and Eve, how much so shall the nakedness shall not be seen between father and son. So there, that's what I mean by the taboo that is seen at this particular time, all right? But nevertheless, instead of him considering this as taboo, the, the text seems to give it as if he thought it to be something gleeful. He thought it to be something funny and whatever, because instead of him looking at his father's nakedness with some sense of shame, and making some attempt to cover it or to ignore it or just to keep it a secret, so to speak. He goes out and invites his brothers to look upon also the nakedness of their father. Okay, so he invites them to participate in this. And remember, their father is naked. So that brings, brings again that issue of what I was talking about, that sexual immoral sense of it. And I'll make, you'll, you'll see it. We'll talk about it even more so as we look at why Noah will say what he will say. And you'll tie on that issue of what I'm trying to bring about sexual immorality. That's the principal key. Remember that sexual immorality. All right. But nevertheless, 
inviting his brothers Shem and Japheth to look at their fathers naked, they didn't share the sentiment that Ham did. They, they didn't think that was something good to look upon or funny. And so they turned their backs so that they wouldn't see their fathers naked, took a blanket in between them, dropped it over their shoulders and dropped it on Noah. All right. So that their nakedness of their father would be finally covered in his drunken state. 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, and here's where we are. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. Now, I'm going to stop there so that we can break it all down piece by piece. So Noah finally woke from his drunken stupor. The scripture doesn't say how he found out about what his son Ham had done. And notice it said his youngest son Ham. The Hebrew that is actually used here doesn't necessarily mean the youngest of the young. Ham was actually the second son. The youngest son was Japheth, okay? The Hebrew that is used here simply means the younger son, the younger son, which should be the way it should be translated. But nevertheless, he found out about what Ham had done, and we can see he, I, don't, I won't say enraged. I don't think that's the proper terminology. I don't think Noah is out of control because clearly as this has become scripture, Noah is being spiritually led at this time. Okay. And not only that, here is the only, these are the only words that we have in scripture spoken by Noah, only recorded words of Noah. Remember all that stuff that had been said about Noah and there were no words about Noah, only about his righteousness and his obedience to God, but nothing said spoken from the mouth of Noah, not until now. And look what he does. So he wakes from his drunken stupor. He is angered by what his son Ham has done. And he pronounces a curse upon Canaan. But notice what he said, cursed be Canaan. But here's what you got to see. It was Ham. It was Ham who had violated his father's tent in this way to look upon his nakedness, not Canaan. It was Ham who did it. So, but in the cursing of Canaan, remember Canaan is Ham's son. It also includes Ham. It includes Ham. So in other words, Noah is speaking against Ham, but he is really emphasizing his son Canaan in a prophetic manner. What do I mean by that? In other words, the sin of Ham, what was the sin of Ham? To look upon his father's nakedness. And remember what I told you guys, it had a sexually immoral element involved. It had a what? Sexual immoral element involved. What Noah is doing is this. In the curse, and we're going to talk about that curse a little bit later on. In the curse, exactly what that curse will be, of Ham, Noah is also giving a prophetic utterance. In other words, he is saying, like father, like son. And now here's the thing that you got to see, and we won't get into that until chapter 10. Ham will have 
four sons and Canaan will be the fourth of those sons. But of the sons of Ham, his fourth son, Canaan, will take a particular way of his father. And what particular way that uh, Canaan will take of Ham? Sexual, immoral way. And let me just cut to a lot of this so you'll understand it. From Ham, you will have Canaan, the fourth son. He's going to have other sons. But the fourth son in particular, Canaan, and from that fourth son, Canaan, you will get, and, and can I say it, guys, in a nutshell without going through all of those ites and all of this, you will have the people who will be called the Canaanites. The What did I say? The Canaanites. These are the people, Hittites, Amorites, uh, Girgashites, and all of that. These are the people who will be in the... Later on, it will become, you'll see this in Genesis chapter 12, in the promised land. All right. You see that in the promised land, these are the people that you will see, the Canaanites that will be Genesis 18, a part of descendants, descendants, the Sodomites, people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we remember what God did to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the sexual immorality that's involved. These are the Canaanites who will be in the land. Even so, when Israel is delivered from Egypt and coming to the land of promise, and God says to them in Leviticus 18, also Leviticus 20, do not be, he tells the Israelites, do not be like these Canaanites in the land. And the reason why I brought out chapter 18 and chapter 20 is because it talks about specifically the sinfulness of the Canaanites had to do a lot with sexual sins. Okay, so let me slow it down just in case you guys aren't getting it. So when Noah said, cursed be Canaan again, it was his son Ham who violated Noah, but the utterance of Noah was a prophetic one. And Noah was simply saying, your descendants, namely the descendants from your fourth son, Canaan, will show the same type of characteristics. What type of characteristics? The characteristics that their father, Ham, is showing now. Sexual, immoral characteristics. And this will be almost like seed planted in all of their descendants. Not all of the sons of Ham, but Canaan, the fourth son of Ham in particular. And then when we move in time at the descendants, even as early as chapter 14, even as early as chapter 19, 18 and 19, when, when God visits Abram says, I got to go down to Sodom because this mess is almost out of control and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain are destroyed because of what? Their sexual immorality, because of homosexuality. And even when we get, when they're the children of Israel, God says unto Abram, that's Genesis chapter 15, it's going to be four generations. And when I bring your people back into this land and judge this land, when the sins of the Amorites, Amorites are descendants of 
Canaan, son of Ham. The sins of the Amorites are full. And what sin is that? That's when you tie the Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. The sin of the sexual immorality. What sin is that all tied to? Cursed be Canaan. That's how we tie it all together. Okay? All right, but let's go on. So now we see that the curse, we haven't dealt with the curse part yet, but what we've actually dealt with so far is the prophetic utterance of Noah about what the descendants of Ham, namely from his fourth son Canaan, would be like. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. Now that is the curse. That is what he is cursed to be. And notice what it said, a servant of servant. In other words, when we say servant, it means literally slave, guys, slave. So that means this, a slave of slave. That is the lowest slave of all. If you are a slave to a slave, that is the lowest of all. So now that's where we see the instant. That's the understanding. This is the curse part. So the other part concerning things about Canaan was prophetic utterance. And now this part is about the curse. This is the negative part about it. Well, both, all of it's negative. But anyway, shall he be to his brothers? Now, when it says to his brothers, it not only simply means that is literally Ham or Canaan, a servant to his brothers, speaking once again, speaking what guys, once again, prophetic, as these men have children and they develop into nations, there, these nations will be slaves unto other nations, subjugated by other nations, or let me make you get it so you'll get it right. The nations that will come forth from Canaan, the nations that will come forth from Canaan. And you'll see that in chapter 10, and you'll see that as we move through the Old Testament, okay, in the book of Kings, you'll see it. As Solomon subjugated uh, these descendants from Canaan, you, you, you'll see it as Israel did all of these things, right? And you'll even see it as the Greeks subjugated these people, as the Romans subjugated these descendants of Canaan. They were slaves to the descendants of what? Of Shem and Japheth. So the nations that descended from Shem and the people that descended from Shem are basically of uh, uh, the Semitic people. These are the Semitic people, all right? And the people that descended from Japheth, and we're going to talk about that too, guys, all right? And these are basically the Asians and the European nations, the Asians and the European nations. And what happened was the descendants of Canaan were enslaved by these people, fulfilling the curse of Noah, when he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he will be to his brothers. What brothers? Shem and Japheth. Shem, from who he is the father of the Semitic people, from also you get the Jewish people, as well as Japheth, from which you get the Asians and Europeans. Got it? Okay, so let's move on. So now we get the curse, servant of a slave of slaves. 
He also said, verse number 26, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Okay, so now he goes and continue in his prophetic utterances and he says, notice he didn't say blessed be Shem, but notice it blessed be, be the Lord the God of Shem that lets us know that it will be Shem who will be entrusted, entrusted with the continuation of the seed line. You got to remember guys, never forget. We're, we're always dealing in the background of everything that promise that God made Genesis three and 15, the seed of the woman, the one who will come to bring redemption, salvation, and remove the curse of the earth and the, the destruction that has come upon mankind because of the disobedience of Adam. <laughs> but the bottom line is Shem is now the chosen seed line. Okay. So therefore he says, and he will be entrusted with the scriptures. And it is also the Jewish people themselves are the descendants of Shem. The Messiah, Jesus is the descendant of Shem. And once again, he emphasizes what? With the cursed be Canaan, let Canaan be his slave, be his servant. So therefore the Shemites will rule over the descendants of Canaan. And we see that when the Jews came into the promised land, we see that under Joshua, this, some of this being taken place. We see this also extensively under Solomon, when Solomon made slaves of the descendants of Canaan. All right. Then he says, and may God enlarge Japheth. Now Japheth is that third son of Noah. This was fulfilled. We'll see this later on in chapter 10 because of the many descendants of Japheth. I think Japheth has something like seven sons, but he had a lot of descendants. Okay. So therefore this was fulfilled because of the multitudes of children, people, that came from Japheth. Then he says, let him dwell in the tents of Shem. There is an association with Japheth. That is, we will see many from the side, even more so, many, even more so, from the families of Japheth associating themselves with Shem. That is, becoming believers, believers in the God of Shem. Okay? And so that's what he means by let him dwell in the tents of Shem and that association. And then once again, it is emphasized and let Canaan be his servant. And therefore, remember I told you about the Asians and the people, Asian people and the European that would come from him and they would enslave the Canaanites. Now, let me say this. Remember I said that Ham, father of Canaan, has four sons, okay? Canaan is only his fourth son. But of the three sons that Ham does have, and you'll see that in chapter 10, as a matter of fact, let me, let me go to it ex explicitly. Verse number six of chapter 10, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. That's the fourth son. See, Canaan is the fourth son. But the point is, Cush, Mizraim, and Push were all, and Put, I'm sorry, were also sons of, of Ham. And from these particular men, that is Put and, and Cush, Mizraim and Put, 
There were also other nations and families of people descended from them. And from Canaan, there were nations and families of people to descend from them. So let me, let me clear up some things now since I'm here. The nations and people that descended from Ham, that descended from Canaan, in this curse, cursed be Canaan, the nations that descended from him basically populated what became known as the promised land, known as the land, which will be known as the land of Israel. All right. And these people were all in the end, in the process of time, subjugated by different groups of people. They were subjugated by Shemites. They were subjugated by non-Shemites. They were, they remember, cursed be Cain, let him be a slave to his brothers. That's what I mean by subjugated. They were slaves. They were slaves to Europeans. They were slaves to the Greeks. They were slaves even to the Romans. They were slaves. So that, that's the point. So these people, the Canaanites, were finally enslaved by the Romans and destroyed by the Romans. So it now, so the point that I'm trying to make is that, and that was approximately in roughly about 146 BC. So what I'm trying to say is this guys, the Canaanites as a race of people were, were, were done away with, destroyed in totality by the Romans, 146 BC. So therefore, there are no, ever since that time, there were no more Canaanites. They no longer existed. Now, the reason why I bring this particular point up is there has been a, 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 a thing that it was a false statement that was made concerning black people, black people. That is people when we say African-Americans and it was a statement that was once used and believed by colonial whites and even it fragmented it. And even now, some people got a, a, a bad idea. They got the wrong interpretation of this passage. They said that the reason why it was justified for white Americans, white colonial Americans to enslave black people was because of this particular word in the scriptures, the curse of Noah. They said that it's because black people were the descendants of, of, of Canaan. And so therefore, when black people were made slaves by colonial Americans, that the whites were justified in doing so. Now, this is absolutely wrong. Just think about everything that I just told you. Okay. But now here's my main point. Remember what I told you about Ham. Ham had four sons. Remember the first son that Ham had was Cush. Second son and Cush. Okay. Let me just take my time. Cush. We'll get to it later on. His second son, Mizraim. His third son, Put. And then his fourth son was Canaan. The black people, African-Americans as we know them, are not the descendants of Canaan. Blacks are the descendants of Cush. 
the Egyptians are the descendants of Mizraim. But anyway, uh, my point is black people, first of all, black people did not even descend from Canaan. Blacks descended from Cush. And my second major point is all of the Canaanites no longer exist. They were all destroyed by 146 BC. And this was done by the Romans. So by 146 BC, that's 146 years, basically before Jesus, the Canaanites didn't even exist anymore. So it is therefore impossible for black people in America Africa, Sub-Saharan uh, uh, sub Africa, or, or, or that estate at all, to be descendants from Canaan. Why? They were all wiped out by that time. So therefore, it is wrong and improper to try to justify slavery in America with this particular verse, cursed be Canaan, because why? Once again, blacks are not descendants from Canaan. Blacks are the descendants from Cush. Okay. All right. But anyway, let's finish it up guys. Cause we're going too long as it is. Verse 28, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So now we're finally finishing this told oath. <laughs> as we wrap up the life of Noah and that he lived 350 years after the flood. And remember, Noah was 600 years, 600 years old when the flood came. So therefore, Noah lived to be 950 years old. Now, guys, when we actually consider that with the longevity in which men had been living Noah lived a pretty long time. He almost lived as long as the oldest man on record. That is Methuselah. Methuselah only beat him by what, 19 years? So Noah lived a long time. But in the end, he died just the same. All right, guys. We'll see you as we begin to talk about in chapter 10, those three sons of Noah and the building of of the nations of the world. All right, catch you then. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.